Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a great episode with Brendan Burns of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. And we are going to be actually doing a two-part series. Uh, The first part of this uh, podcast episode um, is going to be on sheep hunting in North America. And we're basically going to uh, go over uh, all of the sheep species um, the differences between, say, Dahl and Stone and Desert and Rocky Mountain uh, with some of the uh, smaller variations and such with California Bighorn, Fannin. Uh, basically going to be talking all about sheep in North America. Uh, Brendan Burns, our guest, is just completed his uh, Grand Slam, uh, shot his Desert Ram uh, down in Mexico and uh He has got the Grand Slam under his belt. He's killed eight rams and loves mountain hunting, has guided for some of the largest rams uh, ever shot uh, in the state of Montana and uh, has a lot of uh, expertise in sheep hunting. He's a sheep nut and an elk hunting nut. Uh, between those two things, that's that's about all he thinks about. And I thought it would be a great episode to get him on here uh, to discuss that. So uh, before we get to that, guys, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. Without you guys, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Uh, I encourage you guys, if you have any questions of me or comments or want to you know, shoot the breeze about anything, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also uh, direct message me through Instagram, my Instagram account. If you don't follow, I recommend following my Instagram account. That's at jscottoutdoors. Also my Facebook, jscottoutdoors. Uh, you can send me a message through either Facebook or Instagram, and uh, I try and respond immediately. And if I don't know the answer to your question, I, I try and research it and find out for you. If there's people you want to see or hear on this podcast, um, please send me an email or send me a message. If there's questions you have that you want me to answer on the podcast, uh, if you if you need uh, uh, any anything, just send me a message. I appreciate it. Uh, also, encourage you guys if you haven't, if you're a regular listener and you haven't already, please give me a, a review on iTunes. Uh, just go into iTunes and uh, there's a chance there you can give a one to five star rating and then you can leave some comments. Those positive comments help our placement here. Uh, on iTunes, and I just appreciate that support. Uh, there's great comments uh, from from uh, listeners already on there, but if you haven't, please please do so. Uh, also, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast: uh, GoHunt.com Insider Lorenzo Sartini and his crew uh, do a phenomenal job with the GoHunt Insider and the resource uh, for all the Western hunting states, and you can. Uh, basically get all that you need for uh, research data of harvest statistics, draw odds. Uh, They also give away great gear, great hunts uh, just for being an insider member. All you got to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash insider. Uh, Click on the blue join now button. Use the J. Scott promo code and you're going to get a $50 Kuyu gift card just for signing up. Uh, and thank you to Lorenzo and his crew for being the title sponsor. Also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, Jason Harrison, obviously Brendan here, is on the podcast. 
uh, Kuyu. They do such a phenomenal job. And I want to uh, let you guys know that uh, uh, the Kuyu Mobile Showroom is in Seattle, Washington, June 8th through the 10th. So that's coming up here this weekend. They're then going to be in Spokane, Washington, June 15th through the 17th. Missoula, Montana, June 22nd through the 24th. Boise, Idaho, June 29th through July 1st. Uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho, July 6th through the 8th. Bozeman, Montana, Denver, Colorado Springs, Omaha, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Texas, August 24th through the 26th, Houston, Texas, Lubbock, Texas, Albuquerque, Grand Junction, Salt Lake City, Cedar City, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Arizona, October 19th through the 21st, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, and finishing up the 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 uh, Kuyu World Tour in Reno, Nevada, November 9th through the 11th. So make sure if you're uh, anywhere close to these areas, go check out the mobile showroom. You're going to be able to touch, feel, try on, see what size you are. Um, every single piece of gear that Kuyu Ultralight Hunting sells in every size is available in the mobile showroom. I uh, also want to thank Cody Nelson and his crew at the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix, the Optics Authority. Uh, they uh, are, are do an incredible job being able to inform uh, each person, each customer, uh, that you know which optics are the best optics for them. Uh, Cody uh, and his crew are experienced hunters, and uh, they do a great job with their tripods and their backpacks and all the different um, long-range optics. And they've got everything from binoculars and, and um, spotting scopes. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at the Outdoorsman's. Uh, and phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. It's actually J. Scott 16. You're going to get a 10% discount when you order at phonescope.com. Phonescope uh, is able to adapt any phone to any binocular, any optic, any spotting scope, and you can be taking pictures and, and uh, video immediately. Um, it's, it's basically idiot-proof. Uh, anybody can do it, and you can get unbelievable success by using uh, PhoneScope products. Uh, guys, like I said, let's get right to this episode. Thank you so much for um, supporting this podcast. Uh, each and every listener that sends me a message, uh, it's very important to me. I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, and I want to thank Brendan Burns uh, for bringing his area of expertise, which is sheep hunting, to this episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have Brendan Burns, who is the Director of Industry Relations at Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Brendan also just successfully completed his Grand Slam. We're going to have a great conversation today about sheep hunting uh, for the Grand Slam. And Brendan, how are you doing? Doing well, Jay. How are you doing? Good. Congratulations. Uh, you were able to complete your Grand Slam. You've now killed, what is that, eight sheep? Yep. Yeah, I've killed. I've, uh, I've, I've killed eight rams. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It uh, it definitely didn't happen overnight. Nine and a half years in the making. Um, it was a slow burn, but uh, finally got it done. And, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. You finished your slam um, in Mexico on the desert, and yep. uh, your ram. Tell me a little bit about that hunt, uh, about that specific ram, and uh, kind of how it all went down. Well, it was a pretty interesting situation. I, uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine was hunting in Mexico in, I think, December this year. When he got back, he was actually assisting a guy, and when he, when he got back, 
he uh, he told me about this great big one horn ram that they had they had seen while they were hunting and kind of stuck in my mind. I'm always looking for something big, ugly, and old, and especially if uh, if nobody else wants to hunt it. Um, you know, getting a getting a desert sheep to me was was just, was just about going down to hunting in the right areas and stuff. How big it is, whether you got one horn, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I just wanted to get one. So I uh, I found the owner of the place down at the sheep show and was able to make a deal with him to come down and, and hunt that ram since nobody else wanted it. And he basically said if I could, if I could find him, uh, you know, it, it did cost me a little but not much. And I, uh, I went down and was able to, to hunt that ram the last uh, eight days of the season. And it took three days to find him. And it's pretty cool. He's, uh, he's 14 years old and just a, just a hammer of a ram. Uh, he'd be, he's got a, a little over 90-inch horn on his big side and he's busted off back on his other, but just a tremendous old ram that was, Definitely at the end of his life, and it was just a just a really cool hunt, a cool way to finish it off. I kind of all my rounds have come that way, or hustling around and, and trying to trying to find the best opportunity I could. So it was it was really cool to finish it that way. So super happy with it. The um, I want to get to the Grand Slam, but I've got a couple questions for you before that. Um, one thing I really like about your slam is the age class of of your slam. I mean. It's one of the the oldest age slams there is, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some other ones that are out there that are pretty old, but it's uh, yeah, I've, I've taken some old rams. I've uh, I got a 15 year old doll, a 14 year old desert now, a 13 year old bighorn, and 11 year old stone sheep. So they're they're all old. Um, seven of my eight rams are over 10 years old, and 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 when I started guiding sheep a while ago, it 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 became apparent that you know in reality a a sheep's not really in control of his genetics, but they're definitely in control of how long they live. And so the bigger, the older they are, the the cooler they are. Um, so that's kind of, of course, as you take an old ram, then you want another old ram. And, and uh, you know, again, just the older they are, the better. Um, so it's it's uh, it's been cool to chase all these old rams, and and they're you know some big ones too. Um, they're not they're not small, but they're uh, they're all old. Brendan, um, sheep hunters, it's kind of a code. It's kind of an unwritten rule that you try and harvest the, the older age class rams. Um, where does that stem from? And, um, you, you know, how important is that to you as a sheep hunter yourself in the eight rams that you've killed when maybe you have a chance to shoot up, you know, maybe a higher scoring or prettier ram that's younger? Um, how, how hard is it for you as, you know, to shoot an older ram, is it a no-brainer for you? Yeah, it's a no-brainer um, for me, and it, and it depends on where you're at. You know, sheep hunting. Like I said, I've I've killed. You know, I've, I've hunted. You know, fifty plus rams. I've I've taken eight myself personally, and and it, you know, my first doll sheep hunt I went on in two thousand eight. It wasn't even it wasn't even on my radar to count. You know how old it was. I was looking for illegal sheep, and so that in in the progression of sheep hunting for me. It wasn't a priority, and you know, as I started guiding sheep and seeing these old rams, and it just—it's one of those things, you know, when you get an animal that lives that long, um, it's just a lot—it's a lot cooler to kill a super old one, and uh, you know, kind of the old guys and um, the guys that know in sheep hunting, a, a young ram is just—it's just something you don't want to take if you have that option. I mean, you always want to hunt the oldest ram in the area you're hunting, um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of. Kind of, you know, as I've progressed as a sheep hunter, it's it's become more and more important. Um, now, I, I've never been faced with a, you know, a, a giant book sheep and a and a tiny old one. You know, I don't I don't know how. You know, I'm, I'm assuming there's a 
there's a fine line there where it doesn't <laughs> run into, it's not the same thing, but, um, you know, if you have a choice between a 12-year-old sheep and an 8-year-old sheep and they're the same, you're, you you definitely should shoot the 12-year-old. And, and, and likewise, if you have a, a sheep that are comparable, even one that's a little smaller and, you know, it's a big 6-year-old versus a 10-year-old, um, you should definitely kill the older ram, period. Brendan, I want to talk about the Grand Slam. And for those that don't know, um, would you explain what the Grand Slam is, a little bit of history behind that? And um it's important kind of to set the scene for what is a grand slam. And I think you're the per- perfect person to ask that. Yeah. The, the grand slam is defined basically as the, the four wild sheep of, of North America. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a TM. It's actually a trademark thing that the grand slam club has, but it's, it was trade. It was, uh, it was written about, I believe in the, 60s um, or in the 50s um, in an outdoor life article and it kind of defined you know the grand slam and it's it, it's about you know taking the, the four rams in North America we, we kind of have six subspecies but but four rams really you, get, you have your, your doll sheep which is the pure white thin horns up north the stone sheep which is the gray uh, thin horn up north the Rocky Mountain bighorn which kind of falls throughout the Rocky Mountains all the way down you know, all the way down to, to your country, and then and then the desert, the desert sheep, and and in the mix there, there's there's two other sheep that the California bighorn is a subspecies of the Rocky Mountain bighorn. It's a little bit smaller, and then the one that's kind of out there is the Fannin sheep, which is a a light colored doll or a or a or, or excuse me a, a a doll with some color in it or a really light stone sheep. I mean, they they kind of run the gamut in color of super light to super dark. Um, there's there's true stone sheep in, in stone areas, and then there's doll sheep that come in a lot of different colors that have quite a bit of color variation as far as you know a little bit of gray here and there, and and, and that one's kind of uh, that's one of those it's kind of up to the up to the person. A, a stone sheep is defined as uh, you can kind of pick your class as long as it's got a lot of gray hair in it or a black tail. Um, it's uh, it can be defined as a stone, so it's that one's kind of up in the air. And then within the desert species, there's obviously there's Mexicana, there's Nelson Eye, and I think it's Weemsy. Weemsy and Peninsula, which are the North Baja okay. sheep. Okay. Um, and the big ones, but the question would be like the Rocky Mountains, you know, their cousins, so to speak, are the California Bighorn. But within the Rocky Mountain Bighorns, are there classifications like with the deserts, or or are they just classified as Rockies? Um, they're just classified as Rockies. You know, you have your California bighorn, and then we can get into that. There's, and then there's there's another small species that's in that's in California. That that is the uh, Sierra Nevada bighorn, and and they all kind of come in different shapes and sizes based on some is genetic, some is where they live. Some you know sheep run different different sizes all the way around. Um, the the California bighorn generally is is smaller, but you know, the late they've, they've killed some really big ones too. So it just just depends. It's more. Uh, more kind of lines that they've been defined. I believe there's some genetic testing. Like when it comes to stone sheep and doll sheep, there's definitely uh, there's some new genetic testing coming that that they're basically defining the lines of what is a true stone sheep and what is a what is a doll sheep and, and where a fan lies in there. As far as they, they've basically done some genetic testing, whereas fan and sheep are dirty doll sheep. They're they're doll sheep with color in them, um, and they kind of range uh, through the central part of the Yukon and 
so is the difference between a fanon and a dollar stone or, or, or a fanon sheep or a dollar stone is it just simply a line or is it basically left to interpretation for the person that harvested or the guide whether they determine whether it's a fan and a stone or a doll well it's a little bit of both it's you know it's kind of in the eye of the beholder there there are there are doll sheep that have a lot of color in them which are can be classified as stone sheep or which are basically what they call fan and sheep and they you know they run quite quite a full spectrum of color from a little bit of gray in them to i've seen some sheep that are you know fully gray um if I hadn't seen them myself, I'd, I, I wouldn't believe it. But um, they are doing some genetic testing now that is basically showing that some of the famine sheep are just true doll sheep with, with color in them. For whatever reason, the color is changing. They're getting darker and darker. Um, and I actually have, have killed a ram. I killed a ram in the Yukon that had black legs and a black tail that had, I don't know, one in every 200 hairs was black on them. Um, I consider it a doll sheep, but I guess you could call it a famine. Um but in a lot of it, like the Grand Slam Club or Fanaz or uh, the Four North American Wild Sheep that Wild, that Wild Sheep Foundation does or Full Curl, basically if you have a, a doll sheep with a lot of color in it, um, you can call it a, a stone sheep. Um, I believe in Boone and Crockett you can pick the category. If it's got some color in it, you can pick whether you want it to be a doll or a stone. So those, that one's kind of... Um, that's a loose interpretation. I mean, for me personally, a stone sheep, um, if you kill, if you book a doll sheep hunt and kill a ram with color, it's still a doll sheep. Me, that's how I personally seen it. And if you, uh, if you kill a sheep and, and you can't shoulder mount it and tell it's a stone sheep, it's, it's a doll sheep. But, you know, that's just my personal view on it. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, I guess the goal is to kind of get them all. So it's just, I just look at it as a fifth one. Sure. Let's break it down and talk about the sheep, and let's just to make it easy, let's start north and work our way south and talk about where the different sheep that we've just talked about are located. Okay. Well, you basically up north, you have your thin horns. So going north to south, um, and we'll go north to south, and we'll go um, west to east, which is a little easier. So um, obviously Alaska is as doll sheep. Um, there are no... There's, there's a few sheep with a little bit of color showing up in an occasional space, but um, the Alaska has, has basically doll sheep. And they have five major mountain ranges that have doll sheep in Alaska, the Brooks, the Alaska Range, the Wrangles, the Chugach, the Talkeetnas, and there's a couple small mountain ranges that have the Whites and the Kenai um, that have doll sheep in them. But th those five are the major areas in, in Alaska that, that have doll sheep. Um, the, the Chugach is a draw area. Um, there's one walk-in area, and, and the rest of the areas are basically open, open areas um, for sheep hunting in Alaska. Um, and then you jump to border, and, and you go to the Yukon. Well, before, Yukon before you go the, to that real fast, I just got a question. When you're talking mountain ranges, though, Brendan, I did a podcast with Jonah Stewart, and he was kind of laughing because – uh, what we think of a mountain range kind of down here in the lower 48 up there it could be three you know two three hundred miles long right i mean it, it's it it's hard to grasp how big alaska is so when you talk about those five mountain ranges you're talking about huge vast areas right oh they're they're massive yeah i mean you're talking in you know it'd be like saying the rocky mountains as a mountain range not quite that big but they're on a scale of you know 
Right. Uh, they're 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 giant areas, I mean, the Brooks Range is absolutely massive. I mean, they're uh, you know, and the Alaska Range is gigantic. I mean, there's tons of outfitters in there. It's not like one small mountain or one. It's not it's not a hunting unit. I mean, there's they're they're yeah. they're giant. I mean, you can you know, I, I run if you if you say oh, I kill a ram in the Alaska Range. I mean, it, it's a massive massive area. Be like um, the state of Colorado. I mean, not quite, but I mean, it's a huge area. Yeah, I mean, to for example, like one of the one of the places that you can't hunt is Wrangell Saint Elias Park, um, which is you know if you look at a a map of Alaska and you look at Wrangell Saint Elias Park, it's five times bigger than Yellowstone National Park. Everything okay. is huge up there. It's, it's yeah, there's they're giant areas. Um, so okay, and and Alaska, uh, some of the areas, the Toke and the Chugach are draw areas, and then there's also over-the-counter areas that fall within that. Correct? Yeah, Toke is in the Alaska Range. It's a side of the it's a side of the Alaska Range. That's a draw area. It's kind of more accessible, um, and that's draw. And then the Chugach is a draw tag, a draw area. And uh, I can't remember exactly how many areas there are. I've had a Chugach tag on two occasions actually. Um, I've hunted the Alaska Range. I haven't hunted the Brooks Range. Uh, I'm, I'm going to hunt the Wrangles uh, not too long. But, yeah, and so the, the Brooks Range is open. Um, a lot of those are, there's outfitters up there. There's exclusive areas. There's non-exclusive areas. The Alaska Range is the same way. Um, the Wrangles is another giant range. And then the Talkeetnas, um, those are open units. And then there's a couple small ones, the Whites and the Kenai. There is a draw tag, I think, in the Kenai now. And the whites have uh, are an area that I don't think there's an outfitter in, but um, that's that's basically the breakdown on Alaska in a nutshell. You know, obviously we could go, mm-hmm. we could spend an hour talking about Alaska. Um, yep. So um, on to the Yukon. So the the Yukon um, has 22 guide areas. Um, there's a few other areas that aren't hunted, um, and the Yukon has doll sheep and stone sheep. Um, the Pellies come up from the bottom. There's there's seven to eight stone sheep outfitters. Um, and the rest are doll, fannin, uh outfitters that run along the, the northern part of, of the Yukon. Um, it's a great area for sheep, lot, lots of, you know, big, really big based rams in the south, and it runs all the way up kind of the edge of habitat where they disappear at the far north end. Um, the Northwest Territories, again, working east. Um, there's eight doll sheep outfitters, doll sheep hunting areas in um in the NWT, um, the NWT is pretty unique in that it allows helicopter hunting. So um, there's 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 eight exclusive areas, seven different outfitters. One area, one outfitter has two different areas, and um, it's a it's a great great place. High density of sheep, um, lots of sheep, super high success rate um, in the NWT. Now, is the NWT where Nahanni, where you and Jason went at that what is it, Hell's Roaring? Yep, yep. The, hey. We hunted Nahanni Butte Outfitters. We hunted what what is now a national park called Nahanni Nahanni National Park. Um, and yep. I got a question about that national park because um, I watched that video that you guys did at Kuyu. It was awesome. Um, and the outfitter there was saying that now that's a national park. Does that mean that there's no hunting allowed in there at all? No hunting allowed. At all, it's uh, yeah. That, that 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 area we hunted will never be hunted again. There's no hunting. In fact, there's there's the drainage. The drainage we hunted in, there's not a stream in there where you could float. Or um, there literally will probably be almost no human will go in there again ever. I mean, there's no reason to go in there if you weren't if you weren't hunting. 
Okay, so you can't hunt in there, but could you just go in there and hike around and camp, you know, spend a month in there and walk around and, you know, take photographs? Or is it like no human traffic at all? No, it's set up like a national park in, in the States or anything. Yeah, so there's no hunting, but, um, yeah, you could you could go in there and recreate. There's, um, you, you, I, I believe you can get dropped off and go hiking or touring or whatever they do. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be a bummer to go in there and just hike around as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it's all, all shut down. They made it a, made it a national park. That's kind of, I mean, I don't know much about it, but it's kind of a bummer to me to see a huge area like that, that was open to hunting and now it's not open to hunting. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it really is a bummer. It's a, I, I mean, I look at it like a tragedy. I mean, again, no one, there was zero impact to what they were doing. Um, and it's, it's, uh, Basically, no one's going to go in there ever again. Those, you know, I mean, it's the difference between conservation and preservation. You know, some people don't want humans on the landscape, and some people want to manage as if we're here. And uh, the national park system, especially in Canada, they they manage it for preservation, and uh, they they don't want anybody. I mean, I, I think they encourage people to go in there, but it, you know, there's enough barriers, and and I don't think anybody would go in there if you were if you weren't going sheep hunting and flood creek where we were at. You would there. There's no reason to walk through there. It looks like everything else, and yeah, just it's a, it's a bit of a tragedy. I'm glad we got to hunt it, and I'll hunt the NWT again. But but that's uh, a pretty special place and a real bummer. So in other words, those rams they'll just they'll just live out their life and die of old age. They'll they'll just they'll just exist there, right? That's I guess that's what they're gonna do. Yeah. Okay, and then moving on from the Northwest Territories. So uh, moving south, you got uh, British Columbia, um, BC. Obviously, I'm I'm doing everything as if you were a non-resident, uh, a non a non-person that lived in in British Columbia. So if, if somebody lives in BC, I, I dig a little deeper into your home province because you're pretty lucky. Um, but I'm I'm going about this as a as if you didn't live in right. Canada, non-resident or in that yeah. province as a non-resident. And in British Columbia, there's they have doll sheep, two small areas that have doll sheep. They have stone sheep, um, and they have Rocky Mountain bighorn, and they have California bighorn. And so the, in the far northwest corner uh, of British Columbia, they have a couple a small doll sheep area. There's one out there that does offer doll sheep. And then as you move down to the center uh, of British Columbia to about uh, halfway down, you have, you have stone sheep. Um, there's about 80 different... Um, outfitters or areas in British Columbia that offer one form of sheep or another. Um, but like I said, the Dolls in the northwest corner, there's about 30 stone sheep areas in kind of the central part of the state. Um, the California bighorn are the south central uh, of the province, uh, kind of kind of in the middle towards the Washington border. And then bighorns are on the eastern side, about up to Alberta and run down to, you know, kind of the Montana, Washington, Wyoming border down there is is where the rock, the Rocky Mountain bighorns are. Um, and moving west or east, excuse me, um, Alberta. Alberta has bighorn sheep. Uh, Alberta is for non-residents is outfitter, outfitter only. There's a couple draw tags for there's draw tags for residents in some places. There's some archery only areas, um, and then there's but there's Alberta's Rocky Mountain bighorns mainly. And Al- Alberta's where Canamore is, right? Canamore's in Alberta, yep. That's an archery draw area for um, 
for residents, and it's a there are I believe eight or ten non-resident archery tags that you can purchase and hunt through outfitters. There's two different outfitters that are in the in the archery Canmore area. Okay, now jumping across the border, uh, we'll start with Washington. Washington State um, has California bighorns and Rocky Mountain bighorns. Um, it has if if you lived here, it, there's some draw tags, and there's an auction tag and a raffle tag. And and the California bighorns, um, there's some really good California bighorns, and and has traditionally produced some really big Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. Idaho, working east again. Idaho has California bighorns and Rocky Mountain bighorns uh, for quite a few tags. Uh, they have a draw system. They have an auction tag. They have a, a, a raffle tag um, as well, and it's a pretty good. Pretty good state. They've killed some really big rams. There's one area that's better than the rest. There's some really remote areas in in Idaho and in, in the Salmon River and the Frank Church and the, there's a lot of really good areas. And then there's uh, a lot of California bighorns in in Idaho as well. <clears throat> Working uh, east, Montana, we have we have Rocky Mountain bighorns in the whole state of Montana. It starts from the western half and runs all the way um, to about halfway across the state. All our most of our, all our tags are we have we have draw tags. We have the only unlimited area in the in the in the country. The only place where you can just buy a tag and go sheep hunting is in Montana. Super rugged area, um, and we have a success rate horrible, tag. isn't it? Success rate's horrible, but the success rate, um, you know, for guys that get after it and know what they're doing, um, real good sheep hunters tend to have success and. Guys that are committed to it don't. It's it's definitely a tough hunt. I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. It's probably as tough as you know, killing a great big unlimited ram is probably about as high of an accomplishment as you can do in sheep hunting. But um, there's sheep there. You know, it's an opportunity. You got a, you got a tag in your pocket. Um, it's a it's a pretty neat thing that and the only the only place where you can do that in in the U.S. where you can buy a sheep tag and go hunting. And the just real fast, the trophy areas in Montana that you have a couple that typically produce some really good rams. What is the status of those units and um, the trend for trophy quality there in Montana? Would you say it's going up, going down? It's pretty much the same. Um, what is it? What does it look like? Um, it, Montana is probably the best trophy state for bighorns. I mean, for example, we've been on the last. 20 years, or well, since 2000, we've produced 20 rams over 200 net points. Uh, um, Alberta's produced four, BC's produced three, like, and they're all in huntable areas. Um, the trend, I would say, is on the downside right now. They're given a lot of tags in those areas. They've, they've kind of shot the H class out, and, and sheep run in cycles. I mean, 30 years ago, there was an area that had, you know, all the big rams, and then, you know, 25 years ago, you know, there were there was Rock Creek, which had all the big rams, and right now you can hardly kill a book sheep in there, and now it's the breaks, and there's a couple other areas that are producing some, some really big sheep. So they kind of go in cycles. I mean, if they've killed a 200 just about every year. Um, I think the age class is down. They're shooting too many sheep, in my opinion. And uh, But, I mean, it's by far the best place. If you're going to gonna drop, hey, it's still the best sheep hunting. Um, our Alberta guys would argue that a little bit, but it's, it's the best accessible um, huntable sheep areas uh, in the world right now. Um, working east, um, North Dakota has some transplanted bighorns. They have a couple draw tags. They're all kind of on the western border of North Dakota, um, and they're mixed. They have some California bighorns they brought in, and they have some Rocky Mountain bighorns. 
Um, and so uh, they have a auction tag and a couple of draw tags. Um, South Dakota's um, South Dakota is the same. It has it has Rockies, not Cali's. It has uh, four small herds. I think they've given two tags. Some of these are varying since I've looked. Um, I think South Dakota's given two tags. They're kind of on the southern border down there with with Wyoming, um, and they're true Rocky Mountain Bighorns. Uh, and then as you jump down the border there a little bit, Nebraska has some Rocky Mountain Bighorns. They give one to two tags and an auction tag a year. Um, that and they they were brought in, I believe, from Colorado or Wyoming, but um, that's an area that they're 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 transplanting some new sheep into in those kind of, in those sandhill kind of country. And if we swing back over the other side of the country, Oregon, um, going back across, Oregon has California bighorn sheep and Rocky Mountain bighorn. Um, it, Oregon's pretty good state. Got some some really big cowies they've killed over the years, and they've killed some really big. Rockies over the year too. They've they've got several sheep over 200 over the years. So Oregon's uh, Oregon can be a really good state. They've had some some die off problems, but tough place to get a tag, tough place to apply, but um, definitely some some good sheep in Oregon. Um, and you come across Wyoming. Wyoming has the most sheep tags in the West. Um, they have all true Rocky Mountain Bighorns. Um, it's all by draw point system. Um, but it, they get the most tags in the West. Uh, not known for super quality of sheep, but lots of sheep, really nice old rams, and it's kind of tough country where to live in, but they do get a lot of tags. If, if a question about Wyoming, if they didn't give as many tags, do you think they would kill some big rams like they do in Montana, or is it genetically, are they different? No, it's tough country. Yeah, I mean they kill plenty of old rams. Um, yeah, I don't. They're definitely not. I don't think they're over harvesting them. It's it's the big herds of sheep. I think it, it just boils down to genetics and winter and feed and all the other. I mean it's true that the areas like we have big sheep in Montana are are not traditional sheep habitat. I mean I guess they, when Lewis and Clark here they were, but they're they're places that are easier to live. They got a lot of food. Winters are are easy. Um, it's not the big high country nasty super remote kind of areas, which Wyoming is kind of known for. I mean, these, those sheep winter pretty hard. So um, kind of bounce around, uh, I guess, the next state down would be, I'm looking at my map here, California. Um, California has a lot of desert sheep in the southern part of it. Um, it's a tough place to draw. I don't know how many, they give 18 to 20 tags total, I believe. Um, they have two, California, ironically, does not have California bighorns. Um but they do have another a small, a smaller kind of um, sheep that's called a Sierra Nevada bighorn, and they're they're just I think they're about to delist them. There's, I think they'll I think they'll be hunting Sierra Nevadas in our lifetime, which is pretty cool. But California has, has two different types of sheep, um, and then moving across uh, Nevada, Nevada's pretty diverse. Nevada has uh, Rocky Mountain bighorns. Haven't been doing that great, I believe. They might have a tag. At this point in time, they've had some die-offs. Um, they, they did have a tremendous Rocky Mountain program going, and then they had some, I think, some domestic sheep and goat interaction that knocked them down pretty good. Um, they have the desert sheep, obviously the Nelson uh, desert sheep, lots of them. I think they get the most desert tags of, of anywhere. Um, and then they have a lot of California bighorns too um, in one side of the state. So they have, you, can, you can actually hunt three different sheep in, in Nevada, and it's all are pretty good. Utah has all three as well. They have, I think, they have a small California area, maybe 
their, their kayak numbers have varied a little bit lately. Um, but they have, they have Rocky Mountain Bighorns and they have Desert Sheep. So they have all three in, in Utah. Um, tough place to draw any tag, obviously, like, like all the rest of them. Um, but, uh, a lot of diversity there, um, from south to north. Um, next in Colorado, Colorado has Rockies. They have a lot of Rocky tags. It's known as a kind of an opportunity state for, for bighorns. And then in the southern part, they have desert sheep as well. Really hard to draw, but um, they do have Rockies and deserts. Um, and then as we keep going down, Arizona, you got uh, Rockies, desert, Nelson Desert and Mexicana, correct? And um, tough place to draw, but you know, like you said, you you can't win if you don't play. But uh, they they have a lot of different sheep, and your your rockiers seem to be doing pretty good lately too. Huh? Yeah, you know, um, they they shot a 190 inch ram last year um, out of the Black River, that one in 27 unit, and um, the 6A units have been coming along and. Uh, you know they they transplanted sheep in 6A and and finally now there's there's rams being killed that were born and raised in that unit so um, yeah lots of, lots of things going on there in Arizona for Rockies and then of course our deserts um, you know we have a handful of units that produce really really good sheep as far as size um, and I believe you know we're probably second in line with Nevada's numbers of um, desert sheep tags that that we give out but definitely Arizona's pretty pretty high quality state um for for rams for sure yeah yep i hope to draw a desert tag this fall there and be be fun but uh um i guess moving to new mexico well, the, way, that- the way you get tags and draw tags and your success I, I i feel like we should go ahead and just start planning it well i wish it was that easy yeah I, I'm <laughs> that, but well I'm, I'm in the draw that's for sure but anyway um New Mexico would be next. New Mexico has uh, Rocky Mountain Bighorns and Desert Sheep. They started hunting Desert Sheep. I think they delisted them after their transplantation or their transplant program, which has been a huge success. I think they started hunting Desert Sheep in 2012, uh, I believe. But uh, New Mexico's tremendous program for both big Rockies and big uh, big deserts. Um, they're they're pretty aggressive on the transplants and um, uh, killed some huge deserts as of late. Um, big big rams um, and they're rocky. They have a lot of a lot of really good rocky areas. I mean, it's hard to draw. It's 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 even harder to draw now that they've put a nice cap on all the on all the numbers. But it's uh, yeah, that's a that's a great state as well. There's also um, a auction tag there as well, yep. and there's a few reservations as well that you could get tags too, right? Yep, yep. Uh, there's an auction tag. There's a raffle tag. Um, there's at least three reservation tags that I know of in New Mexico. So yeah, there's there's just quite a few opportunities. Um, yeah. Texas has desert sheep, Nelson, I believe, and I, they have one draw tag, and I'm not sure how many how many landowner tag. The amount of private property in Texas is pretty staggering. Um, when you compare it to public land, there's almost none of it. So the state has a they do have one draw tag. Uh, was a friend of mine actually drew that killed a tremendous ram this fall. It's a really cool old ram, um, and then the rest of them are um, kind of landowner outfitter tags that are private that are given out to private property throughout the state. So it's a tough place to get a tag, but they've, uh, they've had pretty good success with, with bringing those back. 
Um, so that's basically every every place that has sheep in the U.S. And now you get to Mexico. Um, Mexico has three, basically three or four different. Um, I think there's some Nelsons at some point in place, um, but they have Mexicana and Peninsular and Weemsey, um desert sheep. So Mexico has, uh, I, I, I believe, the most amount of desert sheep of anywhere. And Mexico, most of the hunts, there's no draw tags. Most of the hunts are directly through an outfitter or a, a, a tribe or reservation of some sort, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you can buy tags down there. Um, they're basically ran like a landowner program um, as far as, you know, you, you buy them from either a landowner or an outfitter or reservation, um, and they're... Um, there's a lot of opportunity if you want to buy a tag, but uh, it's definitely going to cost you. There's no there's no public hunting in Mexico. While we're on that subject, um, I want to ask you. I want to step back just a second and ask you, in, in just talking rough ballpark terms, um, and we might as well start with Mexico. If you're going to buy a sheep tag in Mexico, what should you expect to spend? Mexican. Well, a desert sheep tag obviously depends on some of the some of the better trophy areas um, are going to cost a little more. But you know, between I've I'll just go off at this fall. I've I heard of rams being killed kind of at the end of the season, late season, between thirty and seventy, um, and it kind of depends on where you're going to get. It depends on if um, if it's somebody's canceled or they had a tag left over that they hadn't sold or or the trophy area. You know, I mean, most of them are. 45 to 50, I would say, would be standard. Some of the better areas have been, you know, like Tiburon Island had been as high as 90,000. I think it's back down around that 60, 70 mark. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking 30 to 70 in general, and, um, and, and probably 30 is definitely on the low end. Um, you know, I mean, I think you can get them 40 to, 40 to 60, let's say, is, is pretty standard. Um, if, you, if you're not going to wait to draw one in the States, that's, that's kind of what the going the going rate is. And you've been down to Mexico. You've you've been to Tiburon Island yourself, and then you just finished your Grand Slam in Mexico. My question would be about Tiburon. Um, I believe that, that they've shot a bunch of rams, and you know the initial blast when when guys were kind of going down there, they were shooting great big rams. And do you think it's a function of they've just shot a bunch of sheep, and so there's not those you know, big rams over, not that there isn't, but there it seemed like everybody that went down before was shooting 180 inch plus ram, but it's just not that way anymore. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a mix. Um, I think they've had maybe more sheep taken off the island than should have been at, at times. And I think it's just a function and guys are really good. I mean, a lot of those big rams get killed. Um, you know, there's still a lot of opportunity down there. They still kill some big sheep. I mean, I'm sure there's some big old monsters. I haven't been down there recently i think the last time i was there was 2011 so it's it's been a while since i've been on the island and um but there's there's a lot of opportunity there i mean i i think the, the cool thing about mexico and desert sheep is they're really trans you know because they have value they're really transplanting them all over i mean people are really taking care of, of of the sheep and and putting them in new places and um i think that i think the price of desert sheep is going to stay the same if not go down um just because of the fact that there's just a lot more opportunity for them they're putting them all over again they're they're worth good money so they're they're transplanting them and they're they're moving them um the the ram that i killed in mexico i hunted in in cohila which is a 
another state, and uh, the ram that I killed was actually an original transplant ram from Tiburon Island from 12 years before he'd been on the place that I hunted for 12 years. He was a transplant ram. So um, they're putting them all over and developing new herds, and, um, yeah, I think looks looks bright in Mexico. And, you know, with, with Mexico, you just want to make sure you're going with somebody reliable, you're going to a good area, and, and, and you know what to expect. I mean, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And when you say that, Brennan, a lot of what's going on down in Mexico is you've got Mexican um, outfitters that are doing desert bighorn hunts, and they're in a completely fenced, high-fenced area. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I believe on the mainland there in Mexico, um, you, you're seeing these high-fenced uh, hunts, and do those qualify for Grand Slams? Do those qualify for Boone and Crockett record book or Pope and Young? And what is your experience with you know completely high fenced air, you know areas? I I don't have much experience there. I do know that there's there's been some guys that have been tricked into into hunting areas that that are in high fence. And, and again, it just blows out of Mexico. If it's if it's high fence and not uh, certified that it can go in Boone and Crockett. Um, there, there's there's no high fence stuff that can go in, in Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young uh, or qualify for your Grand Slam. So um, there's just you know it's just Mexico. You just gotta you gotta know what you're getting into. Um, I would you know that's that's just a question you gotta ask is you know just to make sure because there have been guys that have you know taken sheep that um, they didn't know they were in a high fence or said they didn't know or who knows. But uh, you just but Mexico you just want to be careful. Make sure you're on with somebody reputable. There's some great outfitters down there that uh, I definitely don't want to um, sound oh, like sure. it's something to be scared of. There are some tremendous outfitters down there with great areas and super traditional Mexican desert sheep hunting, which is is, is awesome. So it's just want to make sure you're on with somebody reputable. Check somebody that's been there before, and um, you know, make sure you're going to a good spot. And you know, like right now, I just got my desert sheep home. Um, I killed him March 25th, and my sheep showed up a week and a half ago at my doorstep, plugged, sealed U.S. Fish and Wildlife right to my house. So um, there, I know guys that are still waiting on their sheep from several years ago. So, I mean, you just want to make sure you go with a reputable guy that can that can deliver on everything you expect. Yeah, and is that something, you know, as many hunts as you've been on, hunts you've booked and people you've helped book hunts and stuff, is that something that you would definitely have in your contract? I mean, specifically says, you know, that, that you know this is not high fence hunting. Um, you know, the outfitter has valid tags, that the, the ranch is registered, does have an UMA number. And, you know, in trying to give advice to people on specifically on those deserts, what are some of the things that maybe you would, you know, make sure that people understand that, you know, you've heard some horror stories that, that certain things are going on? Yeah, I mean, we've all heard about, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that have tried to resell tags or double book tags or kill rams and put high fence plugs in them. And you just want to make sure you're going with the right person. Um, I would have everything in a contract. But, you know, I mean, once you cross the border, I mean, what, you know, what is your contract really worth? If you would just... If somebody's thinking about going to Mexico, just make sure you're going with the right guy. I would talk to people that have been there before. Um, make sure it's a reputable place. And, that, and that's not just Mexico. That's anywhere. I mean, I would, you know, there's good outfitters, bad outfitters. You, want, you just want to make sure you're going with the right the right guy that's got what he's actually, what your expectation is um, of what you're going to get. You know, it's a free-range cheap that's going to be plugged and 
can can get back to the states. Um, and you bring up a thing there when you talk about being plugged. This is something that I I don't know the answer to. I know, you know, my experience with desert uh, bighorns is all the rams, both rocky and desert, have to be plugged. Do all sheep? Uh, doll stone, California, you know, all that we've talked about, do they all have to have a plug in them in order for them to be legal or valid to come into the United States? Yeah, I mean, I think every legally taken um, sheep in North America has to be plugged. Um, I'm not sure if some of the small states, like we talked about, that have just transplanted, or I assume so, but even, you know, reservation sheep, they all have, they all have plugs. I mean, I think every sheep taken has to have a plug. Everywhere I've ever been has to have a plug. I mean, Alaska, Yukon, NWT, D.C., all the way down, every state has its own plug, and, and that sheep is, is, is entered uh, if it's legally taken and, and taken under uh, under the you know, state, provincial, Regulations. government regulation. Yeah, I think everywhere has plugs. And when you're talking about plug, for those that don't know, basically they drill into the into the horn and um, they basically put a uh, aluminum or steel or whatever plug. Yeah, it's a machined aluminum a plug. Yep. Machine, yep. machine aluminum. And they basically put a little epoxy on it, stick it in. And so they recess, you know, drill the hole in so the plug is actually flush with the horn. Yeah, that's basically like a fingerprint for your horn. I mean, they can track it forever, um, knows where it was killed. Most of them have a year or a state on them, and then a, a, a number, and it just basically keeps everything on the up and up. So you you know you don't end up with a you know, big horn sheep or a or a doll sheep or something that that nobody knows where it came from and the story's not behind it. I mean, they're all legally taken sheep need to be. It's just it's just like a a permanent tag that's in the horn. Yeah, and uh, this is kind of a random question, but can you buy legally tagged? Um, ram horns or you know mounts as long as they're legally tagged let's say you know if 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 you came across uh, someone and they were selling their collection of sheep you know maybe in a state sale is that something legally you can do and if if they don't have a tag um you, you know if the horn hasn't been plugged is that is that a red flag and is that illegal uh that's no, they they only start they didn't start doing it until I believe the late seventies early eighties. So there are old historical heads which wouldn't have a plug. But as far as buying, selling, all that kind of stuff, I just I check with somebody uh, locally, either either your fishing game warden or your or U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, you you there are some states you can, there are some states you can possess them, there are some states you can't sell them. Um, it just it depends on where you live. I'd I'd be okay. Uh, the the wildlife trade is something I wouldn't mess around with. I just uh, I, I definitely check with somebody uh, knowledgeable on that kind of stuff. If someone wants to start picking away and 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 going on sheep hunts, maybe let's start here. You know, what would be one of the first sheep hunts that if someone says, "Hey, I've got the resources. I want to go sheep hunting." Like, what would be the very first thing that you would tell them? And then once they go on that hunt, like, give me a transition of maybe how you would tell someone to try and, you know, complete their Grand Slam. Obviously, a lot of it's subject to draws and such. But if someone had the resources, you know, what would you tell them? Hey, you want to you, you see if you want to be a sheep hunter? Go on this hunt and, you know, see how it goes from there. 
Yeah, I think the the progression of most people, I mean, I can't say for everyone, but mo- most people, their first sheep hunt is a doll sheep hunt, you know, obviously because of price. Um, I, I would say either a draw tag that somebody got fortunate enough to draw or, or a doll sheep hunt because of the price. You know, doll sheep, um, if we want to go through the, the pricing of sheep, obviously we said deserts are between, you know, really between 40 and 60. Um, yeah. Doll sheep, you know, like in Alaska, a doll sheep hunt is between 15 and 21,000, depending on the area, depending on the logistics. Um, depending on success rate, the outfitter that you know, some guys charge more, some guys less. Um, in the Yukon, they're twenty to twenty-two, twenty-five thousand, depending on the area um, for doll sheep. And the NWT, they're they're all between twenty and twenty-six thousand. Um, you know, again, some of those are helicopter hunts. Some are just a remote area to get there. But that's 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 the cheapest. If you're just going to buy a sheep hunt and hunt in North America, that's that's kind of what you're looking at. Now, you there are Less expensive hunts out there. Um, again, you just want to do some research. If, if it's, you know, like anything, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, I would be hesitant on any sheep hunt that's south of $15,000 um, myself, just just because it's, the, the market sets the price, and that would be definitely below market. Um, and, you know, stone, stone sheep right now, based on, uh, you know, most areas are between 30 and 50. Um, some, a lot of areas have trophy fee. You know, it'll be 20 down with a $15,000 kill fee, or some places are flat rate up to like I think the most expensive I know of right now is about 49,000. Super high success rate. There's, you know, some some are basically you can stay until you get one, um, but you're talking between 30 and and 50 on on those. Fan and sheep are a little bit more expensive. If there are some outfitters in the Yukon that have um, that have specific, you know, basically doll sheep that have quite a bit of color in them and hunt them specifically in a few areas, and they're between 22 and 27 to 29, somewhere in there. They're, they can be a little more expensive. It just depends on the area. Some places you can, if you see one, you can just take it. It's, it's no different. Um, but mainly through the stone sheep through BC, you're looking 30 to 50. Um, if you see a sheep for less than that, again, I would be a little bit, hesitant or make sure you do your research um if if stone sheep were thirty thousand dollars people wouldn't be paying fifty thousand there that's that's that'd be that'd be pretty cheap so um there's there's quite there's some fringe areas in british columbia that don't produce high success um like i said there's about 30 outfitters 30 different areas in in British Columbia that have stone sheep and, and some of them are on the fringe that don't have high numbers and the success rate is pretty low. So um, just make sure you do your, your research. Uh, there's some great stone sheep outfitters in some great areas that have a lot of sheep. Um, you know, there's not anywhere that's guaranteed. I mean, stone sheep are one of those things there. <clears throat> a lot of them live in the timber. Um, there's just a lot, a lot of them anywhere. So you just want to make sure you're going to a good area. It gives you the best chance of, of running into a, a stone sheep. And then, uh, is the is the reason the stones are higher is because they're a little less plentiful and and it's just a supply and demand issue. Whereas doll sheep are more plentiful. There's more areas to hunt them. Therefore, it's it's a lower price. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a supply and demand thing. British Columbia, there's uh, there's a lot more doll sheep available between um, Alaska, the Yukon, and, and Northwest Territories. Um, you basically can get. Uh, there's there's seven outfitters, seven or eight outfitters in the Yukon that kind of goes up in a sliver that runs up from from British Columbia into the Yukon that, that offers stone sheep, and then the outfitters in, in British Columbia um, they're usually booked out 
especially the good ones are booked out a few years. And yeah, it just boils down to the supply and demand. There's there's not as many available. I know when you and Jason are hunting sheep, you guys like to hunt together. My one question would be, um, how important do you think it is to, you know, have someone that really likes to hunt sheep as a hunting partner where you guys can, you know, kind of be dreaming all summer and what have you um, in preparing and then be able to go maybe not hunt together sometimes you do but um how how important has that been to have a buddy like jason who likes to hunt sheep like you do and um you you share that common bond and then you just talk a little bit about that yeah i'm pretty fortunate um we we when when i started at you jason's we said right off the bat it's like we're going to do a hunt together every year and and sometimes i've hunted um sometimes he's hunted sometimes uh we've been on hunts where he didn't hunt and I hunted we've been on I went to stone sheep hunting where they only had one tag I couldn't take a sheep when we went to Greg Williams um, up in Golden Bear and it was I just love going sheep hunting uh, whether I'm the whether I'm the hunter or not especially those backpack hunts and I love seeing new areas and it makes it more fun it's not super practical for a lot of people to be able to to do two of them um, we've hunted uh, we've shot sheep together twice uh, on doll sheep hunts um, and it was yeah, it's a lot of fun if you can go with a guy. Um, there's not a lot of big rams no matter where you hunt, so hunting with two guys can be you kind of pushing your luck a little bit, uh, whether you're going to run into two, and we kind of take that as it is what it is. Um, you can you can definitely um, kind of don't really care who gets the big one or, or how it works out. Um, we, we've rotated. I was a first shooter two years ago, and he shot first last year, and it's worked out both great both times and, and again that might not be practical for everybody if you can't have a buddy you can go uh, it definitely makes it more fun um while we're at it let's talk about the different sheep and boone and crockett minimums with um with each with each species if you would and talk about you know kind of what makes a trophy obviously an old ram that doesn't make boone and crockett is still a trophy but when we're talking about trophy rams that are you know boone and crockett rams can you go over the minimums for each? Yeah, for, for Boone and Crockett, um, yeah, and, and some of these, I mean, a Boone and Crockett sheep is, is just a monster. I mean, so, especially in Finhorn, we are talking to all the stone sheep. So the, the awards book for Boone and Crockett, which is, is the three-year period, and then the all-time book for Doll and Stones, it's 160 for awards and 170 is all-time. And then for, for, for Bighorns, it's 175 is the awards book, 180 is all-time. Uh, for Deserts, 165 is book. 168 is all time. Um, and Pope and Young, it's pretty low. Um, in fact, it's, it's hardly even, it's, it's about as small as you can get. For Pope and Young, the minimum for Dahl, Stones, and Deserts is 120, which is a really, really small sheep. Um, and then for Bighorns, it's 140. So just about any ram is going to make Pope and Young. Um, and as far as book for, for, for Boone and Crockett, I mean, a 170-inch stone or a doll sheep is just a monster. I mean, that's probably, I think a book a book 170-plus doll sheep is probably about the rarest thing uh, of everything, maybe a non-typical mule deer, and, and with stone sheep being right behind it. You know, 180 bighorn, not quite as much. There's, you know, really good areas produce 180 pretty easily, and uh, when it comes to deserts, you know, 168 all-time book. Um, depends on the species, you know. Some that's a that's a pretty darn big sheep in some areas, and some Nelson areas, and some areas won't get that big. And then 
when you get to Mexico and some of your big areas in in Arizona, that's uh, it's, it's kind of a low score. I mean, there's a lot, sure. you know, there's a lot bigger sheep. One question about the stone and the doll. It seems to me that if it's very, very difficult to get a book ram, um, is that a function of a, a, a bunch of those sheep early on got shot, that the, the standards were set, and then because more and more sheep have been getting killed and, and maybe they're not able to be as old, um, it, 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 one question would be, like, do they need to lower the standards almost um, if, if it's very unachievable? Or what has created that big gap of, you know, it's not that hard to shoot a, de- a you know, book desert or a book rocky, but it's extremely hard to shoot a book doll or a book stone. It's just, there's just not a lot of them. It's not, I mean, the average sheep killed in, you know, Alaska, it's not even, it's not even legal to kill a ram under eight years old unless it's over full curl. I mean, it's not an age thing. Mostly it's just genetics, like with the, with the thin horns. I mean, they, most of, I mean, like the place we hunted doll sheep last year in, in the Yukon, his average over 24 rams last year was 11.4. So it's not an age thing. Uh, most most all sheep, if they live to be 13, will never will never hit 170. It, it's a function of great big bases and long and genetics. Um, and same with stone sheep. There's a there's a ton of sheep that get killed that it doesn't matter how long they live, they're never going to make book. It's just just a rare thing. It's just one of those things. Like again, like mule deer, they're just they're just rare. And, and bighorns, a lot of it's genetics. It's still hard to get a 180 bighorn. I mean, that's that's a huge sheep. Um, but they kill more of them. Uh, you know, like in Montana, we kill a lot of 180-plus rams. Um, but there's a lot of areas like Wyoming will produce one book sheep a year. You know, uh, Idaho will produce three or four a year. You know, Washington a couple a year, Oregon a couple a year. Most states will will rarely produce, you know, any high volume of, of big rams. Um, and then as far as the deserts go, you know, it's just a function of the Nelson don't get that big. Um, uh, Nelson over 168. That's a heck of a ram, and some of the big Mexican rams that have you know huge bases uh, to get to 168 is not that tough. Yeah, let's talk about a little bit. Um, you talk about big bases. Let's talk a little bit about field judging, um, and you know judging your trophy and kind of knowing what to expect with the thin horns and with the big horns. Um, maybe start with the thin horns and talk me through a little bit. I'm fortunate going to get to go on my first um, sheep hunt um, as a hunter uh, in 2018. Uh, next summer, um, there you actually helped me uh, with that in the Northwest Territories yeah. there at Arctic, Arctic Red. Talk a little bit about thin horns for those listening, you know, as a, as a baseline, what you're looking for. Um, as far as one aging, but two, you know, field judging and and kind of uh, you know baseline measurements of what you use um, when determining if it's a ram you want to shoot or not. Yeah, for me, the the thing is is age, and and really when you get to really really big thin horns, you don't have to look very long. They're usually they're usually pretty damn impressive and big. Um, you know, a lot of it boils down to base size and genetics. Um, as far as thin horns go, you know that. Some areas in the southern Yukon, some areas in the Wrangles and the Chugach and, um, and and some of those areas in Alaska and the NWT, they don't generally have as many big rams as they do in the southern Yukon and, and the best areas in Alaska. I mean, for example, 90 of the top 100 doll sheep have come out of Alaska. It's by far the best doll sheep 
trophy area in the world is, is, is Alaska. And a lot of them came back in the day in the heyday, but still producing some really big sheep. Um, in the Yukon, the southern part of the Yukon has some tremendous dull sheep. The further north you go, just like anything like the Brooks Range in Alaska, and the further north you go in the Yukon, you generally don't get the big bases. Um, I just tougher winter, genetics, whatever it is. Um, the Northwest Territories produces, probably has the highest success rate uh, of any doll sheep hunt, but it doesn't produce, on average, maybe one or two book sheep a year, true 170-inch sheep a year, which is, uh, which is not a ton. Um, they shoot a lot of really nice sheep. Um, but illegal sheep in Alaska is eight years old, full curl or heavily broomed, and uh, illegal sheep in the Yukon is, is full curl or eight years old. In Northwest Territory, it's actually three-quarter curl, but I, I don't know an outfitter. I think almost every outfitter in the Yukon or in, in the NWP, uh, you know, averages over nine years old in age class, so um, they, they shoot a lot of old rams. As far as trophies go, I mean, when thin horns, you know, 40 inches is the magic number, um, but a lot of it has to do you can get a thin, long 40-incher that's not very heavy, and you can get a, a giant 37-incher that carries his math that scores better, so it just depends. Um, a lot of it's area specific. You know, a lot of the, some of the areas have better genetics. Some some have twistier rams. Some have thinner, good-looking rams. It just depends on where you're going. So I mean, it, it's definitely one of these things where you know you could shoot a giant in one mountain range in the Northwest Territories that's a giant for that area, but maybe you put them in Alaska and it's just a another great ram. It's not you know a giant. Um, and like any other animal, what you're saying is it's, it's, it's specific to each area, like unit nine in Arizona, you know, produces big bulls, whereas maybe a unit six, a there's way too many tags. And rarely do you see that giant bull, same type of thing. Yeah. A lot of it boils down to feed and, and, and really mass, you know, I mean, when you score a sheep, there's 60% mass, um, so the bigger the bases, um, you know, obviously they have to get some length. Um, but the bigger the bases, the bigger they are in general. And, and some areas just tend to have this. Um, so, yeah, it just, just depends on the area. I mean, any any doll, you know, like I said, a book sheep is kind of unattainable as far as, like, that's what you're planning. I know I don't guys have killed, you know, 18. In fact, Jack Ashton, I think he told me he killed, he's killed 18 or 19 doll sheep. He's never killed one that goes over 170. He's been hunting since the heyday. Um, killed some in the high 60s, but any doll sheep over 160 is a heck of a ram. Same with the same with the stone sheep. That's kind of the that's kind of the benchmark as far as a big ram. You know, all time book, pretty hard to get, and they're they're pretty darn rare. I mean, they do they do kill them. They kill them every year, but that's not something you can you can really plan on. Um, but and what what are base measurements um, that you're looking at um, say on you know, doll sheep and stone sheep as far as thin horn. I mean, what kind of base measurements would you say, yeah, that's those are great bases? Yeah, doll sheep run from 11 inches to, you know, I've heard of a couple recently that were killed a little over 15. I mean, in general, if you got a doll sheep that's got 14-inch bases um, or a stone, really, I mean, I mean, you're, that's, a, that's a big base. You know, 14-plus is a really big base. Um, rams go down to, you know, I've seen some really beautiful 11-inch rams that you'd be crazy not to shoot. They just genetically don't have really big bases. Um, stone sheep vary from, you know, like I said, 11 and a half, 12 to all the way up to, you know, there's a couple areas in British Columbia where they they kill a 16, 16-inch ram every every couple of years, you know, so they, they run in that size range. Um, but I would say the average is around, uh, average of really big ram is around 14, you know, doll sheep 13 and a half. Uh, stone sheep 14-ish, maybe a little bit bigger. 
Uh, just depends. Depends on the area. A lot of a lot of it has to do with genetics. When you're judging age on a thin horns, um, on a on a thin horn, are the rings harder to to distinguish than say a bighorn or a Rocky Mountain bighorn? Um, maybe give a, a little bit of tricks of the trade when you're looking at a thin horn trying to judge age. Yeah, they're way easier. I mean, bighorns, bighorns in deserts are really tough to judge based on the color. They don't get the super defined lines in them. And, and some thin horns can be tough to judge too. But, um, yeah, judging a uh, – and, and the thing about thin horns too is, like, if you're undecided or you can't really tell, uh, it's pro- you probably should walk away from that sheep. Um, and a, a lot of them don't require judging. You get a big ram that's way over the top of his nose, over full curl, looks really heavy. I mean, you don't really have to judge age that well. But I generally start, I always start at the tip on any sheep. And the first really dark ring you can count, the first really dark ring um, that shows up in the horn, it's usually, you know, a foot back or more, is uh, is what I call three and a half. That's that's how you judge them in Alaska. You, you go that, they, were, they grew about, you know, a little close to an inch their first year, the second ring, uh, obviously they're born in the spring and you kill them in the fall on most sheep. So they grow, they grow a little bit in the first year. I think it's about seven centimeters. And then they grow kind of a longer, smoother point where they look like a U if, if you were to look at a two-year-old. And then the next year is kind of when they start to, you, you can define them that they're, they're starting to look like a ram. And then that, that ram would be, or that, that ring would be the three and a half, you know, born in the spring, die in the fall. And then you count them going towards the head. Um, and that's that's how I do it, and I've, I've managed to pretty much hit everything. And there's there's on really old rounds, there's a, there's there's rings hidden close to the hair that you're not going to be able to see. But you know, in general, when you're trying to get around to eight or nine, it's pretty simple once you once you've done it a bunch. And and you know, again, that's why you're when it comes to thin horns, you're probably not hunting on your own. You're you're going to be hunting with an outfitter or with a guide who, you know, that's their job is to make sure that that's a legal sheep and an old sheep, not, not just legal but old. Sure. What's your experience? How close do you have to be? Obviously, it depends on how good of optics you have. But, you know, let's say you have top of the line, you know, European optics, you know, whether you're using Swarovski or Zeiss or Leica or whatever. Um, You know, what have you found on thin horns? How close do you have to be to actually be, you know, pretty accurate at counting rings? Three to five hundred. You know, some are defined better. There's darker rings and you can tell real clear. And there's some that are harder, but... um... The closer you can get, the better. Um, and especially, you know, they can get false rings. They can have um, places where they stopped and started growing, and you can get a little, you, you can get kind of a dark, dark deceiving false annuli, they call it. Uh, I've seen that on a couple sheep. Um, so the closer, the better. I mean, 300, you, you should be able to, you should be able to tell what a legal sheep is at 300 if you want to get really close and know exactly how old he is. You should know he's. He's, that's how big he is. And there's a lot of guys that can do it at further distance. Obviously, it depends on your optics. It really depends on the conditions. Um, I mean, it's super clear day, nice and cold. Good light. Yeah, super clear day, nice and cold, overcast. Um, you can certainly see probably twice as far and count rings better. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um, bighorns, Rocky Mountain bighorn, and, and then deserts as far as um, given general uh you know, base measurements, length measurements, you know, what makes a book ram um, for rocky and, and for desert, kind of cover some of that. Um, yeah, so we'll dive in a little bit on that. So the 
one one thing that people are surprised about when it when it comes to the hardest sheep to kill right now in the Grand Slam is actually the bighorn, which people find surprising because you can, you can you can go on a doll sheep hunt, you can buy a, a stone sheep hunt, and you can buy a desert sheep in Mexico if you have to. The the Rocky Mountain bighorn is is one of the tough is the toughest one to get in my opinion right now. There's if you don't draw a tag, um, if you draw a tag, obviously you've got a bighorn. But if you don't draw a tag, there's there's over-the-counter hunts you can do with outfitters in British Columbia and Alberta, but the sex success rate is not super high. Um, they're tough areas to hunt. Um, usually longer hunts, pretty tough. I, I know I have quite a few guys that I've guided that have went unsuccessfully on those. Um, and then when it comes to the West, you know, there's less than 25 tags you can buy throughout the West. Uh, there's a few reservation tags. There's a few, obviously, the auction tags. There's a few tags you can win, but... Um, there's really not a place where you say I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go get a bighorn. So the, the bighorn is the hard one to get right now, and, and price-wise, run from um, 40, 45 to over 100, depending on the success rate. Now, the, that kind of surprises people is how, how difficult it is to get a rocky if you weren't able to draw. Well, you know, luckily, you know, I was able to draw, but um, there are some. If you, if it's it's actually shocking to most people that. There's a lot of guys sitting out there with desert stone and doll still waiting for a rocky. It's it's one of the hard, it's the hardest one to get right now. But what was it? What was the other question, Jay? About it's that? Speci- yeah, specifically about the bighorn. We're talking about Rocky Mountain bighorn. Um, you know, what are you looking at when you're field judging? When you're aging, as far as you know, obviously you're counting rings, but you know, what are you looking at? Base size, horn length. You know, for a book ram, and then. Um, maybe go on into that big giant nasty ram you shot uh, with your bow um, in in Montana. It was like 190 inches or something with um, you know big old what 17 inch bases, uh, 16 yeah, six or something. 15 and seven and 16 on the base. My sheep was, but um, as far as bighorns. Yeah, judging judging bighorns is it, it gets pretty tough, especially aging them. I mean, I've I've killed a lot of rams. I, I say killed, guided, been on hunts. We've killed some of the rams I've taken personally that have broomed off up to three years, you know, two and a half years back. So judging them from the tip is not like, quite like a thin horn. Um, they tend to break up, um, get broomed way back. So that's where that's where that three and a half rule is. Like the first real dark ring you can count, I call I just call I just start at three and I work out from the tip. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Start, you know, at the head. Um, as far as bighorn judging, bighorn goes. A lot of it goes into the area. Um, I do when I'm judging sheep. I do a ton of research into all the sheep that have been killed there. Um, judging length is not super hard. Um, judging mass is really tough if you don't know what you're getting into. I get guys sending me pictures all the time. How big is this ram? Where is it at? What's the average base size? And it's like, well, that's kind of cheating as far as judging sheep, but. You know, in reality, it, it boils down to, you know, what is the area known for? You can always get a flyer that is that is a monster sheep um, that, you know, you underjudge or overjudge. But in general, the, the areas will, will fall within a range. You know, like, for example, a lot of areas in Montana are, you know, between 15 and 16 inches on the base. Well, if you can start there and, and then you can decide how old that ram is and how he carries his mass, you know, really really heavy like, like your fist on the end, you know, you're going to have close to a 10-inch third and then you figure out how, how old is that ram. You know, if you, you know, if you look at a ram that's six years old, they taper really fast. If a ram that's eight years old doesn't taper quite as fast. If you get a ram that's 12 years old, he carries it, it looks like he's got, you know, biceps halfway through. He's going to have, 
you know, his drop all the way down is not going to be as good. You know, I've killed rams that have, you know, 16, 16, 15, 4, 11 on the thirds, you know, that, that, and, then, and then their length. So it, it, a lot of it depends on age. It depends on what the area is known for base-wise. You know, we have areas in Montana here that, you know, average 16 inches. You'll see them up to 17. I, killed, I, I had a hunter, I guided around this fall. That's one of the biggest sheep base-wise ever killed in Montana, I think fourth or fifth, and it was official 17.5 on the base. And I, I missed that ram a little bit. I thought he was 16.7, um, just gigantic. Um, so yeah, but in a case like that, Brennan, like you were at sixteen seven, just because historically you you you'd had no data of anything over seventeen, and so when you when you're basing your whole score, you know, sixty percent of your score off of off of mass, and you have to start with the base. If you miscalculate the base, it can either kill you or be your best friend because if 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 you overjudge the base everything's going to be smaller moving throughout down through the horn if it happens to be what you think or maybe a smidge bigger than every single measurement you're probably going to be surprised on the good side right yeah and and you know i mean i tell guys like if you haven't missed a ram you haven't hunted cheap enough i mean everybody like if you haven't been burned by one in good or bad like oop, underjudged him or, or overjudged one you know, body size has a lot to do with it. I mean, there's they're just, they're just t- there's a reason that guys are really good at it, and and, and they're highly sought out to to assist on hunts, is because it's not an easy thing to do, and, and it just takes experience. You can't just go, oh, he's, you know, I always say 180 rams don't have a don't have a look; they have a score. I mean, I've I, I killed a ram in New Mexico that big, nasty, super heavy on the ends, and I, I show people a picture of that most people think it's 190. It's a 176 inch ram because he has 14-inch bases. I knew it when I killed him. Um, they don't have a look. Giant rams don't have a look. They have a score. It, it's a number that's associated with it. I mean, there's some. I've seen some beautiful rams that will barely break 170, um, and I've seen some super yeah. ugly, super open hoopy rams that are pushing 200 that would shock people because they, you know, they start at massive base. So um, when it comes to Rockies, I mean, there, there's some rules of thumb, like 15 by 40, um, on an eight-year-old ram, will generally get you to 180, and obviously the variance of that is 15.3 by 38, and a little bit heavier, it'll get you, you know, to, you know, a little over 180. That, that's kind of what I base it on. Um, 16 by 40 will get you 190. Anything bigger than that, you're gonna you're gonna have to run all the numbers um, for sure on on how big they really are. And and a lot of it is the genetics of the area. I mean, the guys that hunt the areas and and have put their hands on a lot of rams in the area you're hunting are going to know better than some random person you send a picture to that's, that's killed a lot of big sheep. I mean, the, the, the local knowledge and the local knowledge of what normal bases will be, normal links will be, what, what body size it will be, um, that's pretty invaluable when you're trying to judge sheep if that's, if that's what you're going after. And wouldn't you agree that, you know, you have to have mass to have a high-scoring ram, but to be a giant, you have to have length. Like, you... There's no giants. How do I say this? You have to have a lot of length in order to be a giant. You can have all the mass you want. If it's a short, stubby horn, you're not going to get it. But if you have mass and a ton of length, that's what creates those giant, giant rams. I mean, giant, giant rams got to have it all. Um, I've, right. uh, I mean, super mass and, and and a long length. I mean, you killed a ram in Montana this year. That's doesn't have a ton of mass. It's like 15, 
I want to say 15, 4 by 47, scores 200 even. Um, there's a few of those rams that wouldn't fall into that category. Um, I have a buddy, Jason Comerfeld, that killed a ram um, that was 39 by 17, 4. Um, it basically would barely be legal in the three-quarter curl area, and it, it scores two, 204 eighths. Giant. Um, but in general, I need, they need it all. I mean, most of uh, most the great big rams are... You know, if you're talking Rockies, are are in between you know 16 and 16 and 16 and 17 and over 40 inches and and old. Um, and a lot of people don't realize how the how the age affects the score because of how they carry it. But you know, like uh, again, for for example, on a on a on a big sheep that's old, if you had the exact same ram that was 16 by 40 inches, that doesn't tell you exactly what that ram is. If I if I say it's 16 by 40 inches and he was six and a half years old. Because me, I, I can tell you a little closer what he's going to be score wise because he's pretty thin. He doesn't, you know, he's going to taper. He's going to taper super quick. You know, he's probably going to go, you know, let's say 16 by 40, he's going to go 16, 15, 13, 6, you know, 8, 8 and a half, something like that. Whereas if you say it's 16 by 40 and he's 12, okay, well, he's going to yeah. go, you know, he's going to have 10 and a half inch thirds. He's going to go, you know, 16, 15, 7. You know, fourteen, four, uh, eleven. You know, ten and a half, eleven. You know, so that, that's the exact same length and base on a ram at two different ages. Um, and it's going to way outscore. Um, so that's where, you know, again, it all factors in when you're judging them. It, nothing. There's there's no rule of thumb that yeah, this is definitive. This will work. Um, it all factors in how old they are, the genetics of the area what the normal mass is, how big their body is, how they look next to other sheep. Um, it all it all comes into play. <laughs> let's talk about, real fast, let's talk about ear clearance. I know you and I have talked about it a bunch, and that's something that I think is, you know, it's getting pretty advanced, but ear clearance is, is huge. Um, if, you, if you're able to be able to judge a ram um, and how important having that ear clearance is. Yeah, it's one of the things I really look at, and especially I've been fortunate to have been on quite a few really big rams, like, you know, between 190 and 203. Um, seen, seen in photographs some rams as big as 206, you know, not, not park rams, not wild horse island rams, like actual rams in the wild where we're hunting them. And one of the things that gets is definitely people don't pay attention to is how far their ears go in. When you're looking at a ram head on, I mean, the, the big thing everybody wants to talk about is the hoop. You know, can you fit a volleyball or a baseball or however that, and, and that, that's definitely something that you need to look at is, you know, how deep do they drop, how low do they swing on their, on their frame, um, you know, in reality, full curl basically means nothing when you're talking about big sheep, I mean, uh, the, most of the biggest rams I've seen wouldn't, wouldn't break full curl or, or just barely because they're so poopy, but you can also get a ram that pinches tight to his head, and if a ram's looking at you head on and his ears go way into his horns, his frame is not as big as he looks. And conversely, if you're looking at a ram and from the side and from head on, his ears won't touch his horns, you're looking at a big sheep. And he's got a lot of clearance around his ears. Um, he stands off his head a lot, whether they drop back or whether they come straight off or whether they go out. Um, the more ear clearance, I mean, if, if you got a great big ram and his ears can't touch his horns, that's, that's one you, you're probably going to want to start shooting at him. <laughs> and um let's talk a little bit about deserts and what you're looking for when you're judging deserts obviously typically 
Um, bases on desert rams typically are smaller than Rocky Mountain, but um, you, you can, if you get good at deserts and uh, Rocky Mountain, or, or, let me back up. If, 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 if you're good at Rocky Mountain or good at deserts, you can kind of extrapolate that data from one species to the other, just like I'm sure you can with stone and dull, thinhorn sheep. But talk a little bit about um, deserts and kind of what you're looking for when you're when you're judging uh, trophy rams, desert rams. Yeah, and I, again, I, I would fall into, I don't, I don't really qualify as a super expert on deserts. I've, I've guided a few of them. I've obviously taken one, um, but you know, get it boils down to the area, kind of what the local knowledge is. But, I mean, it's sim- similar to a bighorn. I mean, you're looking for something that, you know, looks big on the head. Um, they obviously have that more alien kind of look. They have a thinner neck. Um, I, I find deserts that are really big to look super bizarre um, from just about any angle. Like E.T.? Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, just, they're just bizarre because they're so small. Their necks are so small. But um, just like anything, you're looking for... for Big heavy mass, and and some of the areas, you know, I mean, desert sheep run. I, I don't know what the small Nelsons you got, like thirteen ish to. I mean, the, the North Baja rams that they were killing. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Claude's ram, you know, it's sixteen four on the bases. You know, just blew us away how big those bases were. You know, big Nelson. Um, but yeah, I mean, around 14, a lot of those big Nevada rams are really long, and some of those bases are like 14, 14, 2. Um, you know, whereas you've got your Mexicanas, typically, you know, you get that 15-inch base, um, you know, up to 15 and a half and even bigger. But um, I, fa- I found that the Nelson's bases are, are not as big as Mexicanas across the board if I had to, you know throw a number out there but you know there's there's nelson's shot every year that you know 15 and 4 15 5 15 6 and you know they're short but they've just puffed out and they got big bases but i would say you know definitely i think the mexicanas have bigger bases across the board yeah and you look through the book on the on the really big deserts the mexicanas and, and where they where they've been taken and, and you know some of the huge rams in the heyday i mean there, there's quite a few 17-inch base rams, um, 17 and a half from North Baja. I mean, great big, great big sheep that carry the mass that are as big as any. I mean, obviously the the the, the, the desert sheep world record is 205. I think he's 45 by 16 and a half and carries. I mean, it, it, the thing is a monster. It's as it, it's as big as any rocky you would ever see. You know, and that's 205. Um, so. It just depends. The, the round that I just killed actually has a really big base. He's 16 by 37, um, 14 years old, and again carries a mass. Um, it's an area that you know we um, they're they're transplants from Tiburon, and, and Tiburon's known for big for big bases. I mean, they kill between 15 and a half and 16 and a half. Um, and like some of those big lake rams you guys hunt, I mean, you you, you got to kill quite a few rams over 16 every year in those in those best areas, correct? Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with feed too. I mean, those those lake rams in Arizona, you know, if you transplanted them, say, out to the western deserts, you know, just took a big old 180, you know, 180 plus ram and threw him out there in the western desert, he would have thought he died and gone to hell. Like, like the the difference in vegetation is mind blowing. Where you know around those lakes, you know, they're standing in grass that's you know eight to 12 inches tall throughout most of the year and they got all kinds of vegetation to browse on um it's just a totally different thing i think a lot of those sheep just 
nutritionally they just they just start right out and they're growing big bases from the from the get-go and um you know whereas say our western desert rams you know it's pretty uncommon for them to get you know much over 15 inches yeah so i think that goes back to what you were saying like every place you go hunt like what i try and do is pull up every single ram as far back as i can go that's ever been harvested in whatever unit i'm going to and try and create this baseline of like okay this is kind of average and this is like the biggest i've ever heard of and here's a picture and his his bases are 15.4 and it's the biggest base ram that i could find going back then you know when you're looking at a ram you're like man his bases look big well i would never give over the biggest measurement that you know of that's just a good rule of thumb if 15.4 is the biggest base you could find and you got a picture of it you're looking at it on your phone and you're like well this ram looks real similar maybe use 15.4 as your base or 15.3 as your base to be safe um and maybe you get up there and you shoot him and he's you know 15.5 15.6 then everything's going to be better and you know you, you're not going to have a surprise but don't just automatically go oh yeah he's got you know 15.4 on the bases when you only found one other ram that was 15.4 go with more of the you know oh average is like 14.6 then on all your measurements you know give your 14.6 and base everything off of that and then if you get a surprise great you just you don't want a surprise on the on the low end you don't want to go down. You want to go up. Yeah, I've seen it happen here in Montana a lot where guys will kill a ram based on, I think, you know, like especially in the Missouri breaks, they'll kill a few, you know, 16 and a half, 17 inch base ram. And the guys are, oh, I, I, you know, I, I knew he wasn't super long, but I figured he was heavy in that. And they, I don't, again, that's a double whammy. Um, so you just want to, you want to, yeah, make sure you, you, you do your research. I'm the same way. I print off every sheep from everywhere I'm hunting and, and, and take a look at it. And, and a lot of it's body size too. I mean, my buddy Willie killed a, has killed a couple of rams down in New Mexico with GT none uh, desert sheep, and he said they're 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 just massive body, as big as any Rocky Mountain bighorn you ever put your hands on. They live at high elevation. They got a lot of food. You know, they got 16 inch bases. Um, you know, I think GT killed two of them that are over 190 recently. You know, that are you know 16 by 40 something plus. I think mean, one of them's like 43 and and old. You know, so it's just a lot of it depends on on body size and. There is no rule um, that's going to get you dialed in. And I always tell people when you're going on a hunt, no matter with sheep, I've, I've done it myself a lot too, shoot a ram you like to look at, uh, minimum. Make sure you like the ram you're going to kill because he may have smaller bases than you think. He may not be as long as you think. He may be different than you think he is when you pull the trigger. But if you if you look at a ram and you go, I like that ram, I can look at that ram for the rest of my life, that's, that's a great place to start at. For sure. Let's jump into um, choosing an outfitter and what you look for when you're going on an outfitted hunt and maybe some of the pitfalls or things that you've heard that have gone sideways for people and um, just a kind of a rule of thumb when people are looking at an outfitter, going hunting with an outfitter. Yeah, um, a lot of it depends on the hunter and what they want out of the hunt. I talked to a lot of guys that have been on a hunt. It wasn't quite what it turned out to be, and they, they weren't super happy. And, and a lot of it falls on the hunter, too. If you if you pick a guy that can't deliver what your expectations are, I mean, and I'm not talking about the sheep. You're talking about when, when guys, you know, like everybody wants a big, twisty, 40-inch ram with huge bases that looks awesome, period. That's why we go on hunts. Everybody wants a great big one. I'm, I'm talking about um, an area where you're going to see a lot of sheep or an area that, you know, if, if you book a backpack hunt and you're not really in that great of shape, um, you're probably not going to have a great time. Um, and 
likewise, if you book a, a low-cost hunt but really have an expectation of seeing a lot of legal sheep, right, not going to have a great time. That, that falls a lot on the hunter um, as far as picking the right guy that suits what they want. Um, you know, again, if you're if we're talking about bow hunting, you know, if if, if your main goal is to kill a, a sheep with your bow, I would definitely you want to pick an area that has really good numbers of sheep. Um, for example, let's let's just take stone sheep. More than fifty percent of the stone sheep that have been killed with a bow have come from one area. It's got a high density of sheep. It's an archery only area. It's got a a lot of sheep in it. They're not very big. I mean, I think the average score is about one forty, one fifty. Um, they're just nice, mature, legal stone sheep that you're going to stalk around every single day, and and you're going to have an opportunity to kill a, a stone sheep with your bow. It's not an area I would particularly enjoy hunting. Um, I'd rather go to a low-density area that doesn't have a lot of sheep and hunt for a great big old ram that nobody ever lays laid eyes on. I, you know, I'd rather hunt that kind of a ram with a rifle than go to a bow area to hunt kind of average sheep. That's just my personal preference. And, and so a lot of it is just picking the area that you want to hunt that can deliver what you need. You know, again, if you want a bow hunt or if you're not in the greatest shape in the world, spend a little extra money and go to the NWT. Um, you want the toughest sheep hunt in the world, <laughs> jump off in the Chugach and, and walk out one of those trails. Um, that, that place is as tough as it gets. Um, if you want super remote, like your, your, your super cub remote, backpack hunt in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the Brooks Range, a lot of the areas in the Yukon um, are just are great for that. Um, and, and when you get down to stone sheep, you know, you want a great big one. You want a super dark one. Um, a lot of it falls on the hunter as far as you need to, you need to make sure what you're looking at has what, has what you want. Um, if you're looking at an outfitter, like, for example, I love Yukon stone sheep that have, I, I, love, I think the prettiest sheep in the world is a dark-bodied stone with a light head. Um, well, if you wanted that sheep and you went to central British Columbia where they're basically jet black, you'd probably be disappointed no matter what you killed. So a lot of it falls into, you know, doing your research, talking to guys, making sure you talk to people that have been there. Um, you know, most outfitters offer uh, something, you know, offer what they say they offer. A lot of it is sorting through and making sure that's what you're after. Well, I think that makes makes huge sense. And Brendan, we live in a day and age where there's so much information out there, but there's a lot of there's a lot of information coming from people that have never actually done it and it's kind of one of those things like would you take financial advice from someone that you know doesn't hasn't done really well and hasn't made a lot of money just like you know w- would you go on a a sheep hunt and take advice from someone that's never even been there right i mean i was just curious your thoughts on some of you know, one of the things about having so much information out there, there is a negative to it because there's a lot of information that's bad information. Yeah, I mean, I I do I would not take advice from somebody that hadn't done it. Um, as far as hunting sheep, whether it's you know, I look at you know my application strategy, um, same deal. I talk to guys that have applied, drawn, drawn, or successfully put together together a strategy to draw tags. As far as book and hunt, I talk to hunters that have been there. I talk to the outfitter. I talk to guys that really know. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I would never take sheep hunting advice from somebody that hadn't done it. And it boils down to priority, too. I mean, if, if somebody's, you know, telling you where to go thin horn hunting and they're talking stones and dolls and all this stuff, like, if they haven't done it, it probably hasn't been a big enough priority in their life to uh, to give them the credibility to, to tell you what you should do with your money. I mean, I've, I've called somebody up that, 
that put it on the line and 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 made that decision and, and was happy with their decision when when their money was riding on it. Whether it's you know again whether it's application stuff or booking with an outfitter or doing a hunt on your own, um, I take advice from the guys that have that have definitely done it because um, there is a lot of bad information out there and and it's not necessarily intentionally meant to be bad. It's just conceptual knowledge of guys they they think this is you know, the best advice or this is what I would do. And, and, you know, again, you go on a few sheep hunts and you really, you know, you'll, you'll know coming up here in 2018, like there's some stuff you think you got figured out. You'll go on that hunt and come back and go, Hmm. Yeah. It was different than I thought. I would have done that different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just one of those things, the more experience you have. And there's just a lot of older guys that have done a lot. I mean, I, I have a Rolodex of, of old guys that I, that I call that, that their knowledge is good. They're not going to give you a bad, they're not going to give you bad advice. Um, and, you know, sheep hunting is one of those things that stays current, too. I mean, somebody tells you, hey, you know, I, I went here in, in 1987. Um, this is this is the spot you should go. You know, yeah, I, I get, get a little more current knowledge, too. I mean, I have guys every year that call me about applying in Montana, and it's always funny when they go, uh, should I still apply in Rock Creek? And it's like, yeah, Rock Creek basically has been garbage since about 1996 so yeah i definitely wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't be that you know that's where they killed the big ones back in the day but you're probably going to want to change that up um so yeah just get advice from from somebody that's done it and the one thing is everybody thinks it's a rich man sport um to a certain degree it is but there's a lot of stuff you can do to 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 to, to stack it and you stack the odds in your favor of going on a sheep hunt whether it's short notice cancellation stuff or being in the right place at the right time. Um, it's, 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 it's something that it's not necessarily a rich man's thing. It's a priority thing. If it's a priority to you, uh, you'll make it happen. Um, that, that's what it boils down to. It's not, it's not, uh, you need 150 grand and get a, to get a grand slam. That's not the case. Um, you, but it, it definitely is going to need to be a priority for you. For sure. Um, I want to talk about, you know, guys that want to go with their bow as opposed to going with a rifle. Um, your thoughts on that? And one thing I see is a lot of guys choose to go with their bow and they're willing to shoot a much smaller ram or less, quote unquote, you know, trophy ram with their bow. And they say, well, I got it with my bow. Just curious your thoughts on that as far as, you know, um, I sometimes see kind of a double standard. I am an art, you know, I archery hunt and I rifle hunt. I do both. Um, but just curious in the, in the sheep world, you know, obviously getting a sheep with a bow is a, is a huge challenge. Um, but sometimes is a little bit of a crutch when guys are hunting with a bow and they shoot something that's, you know, maybe they would have never even considered with a rifle. Your thoughts? Yeah, there's a couple factors in that. One, um, it all depends on where you fall personally. I mean, like I always say, I'm a I'm a trophy hunter, an opportunist, and a bow hunter. I prefer to bow hunt. It's what I enjoy the most. Um, but really, when it comes to sheep hunting, a lot of it is it boils down to time. Um, you know, the first opportunity where I had unlimited time, I didn't take a rifle. I killed a huge ram with my bow because I had all the time in the world. When you go on a fully guided hunt or you're paying a lot of money and you have 10 days, um, there's just sometimes where they're just not in the right spot. You can't get on them. Um, and again, if you're you know, like myself, I'm pretty picky. I, I'm just I've, I've passed up doll sheep with my bow that were just not what I was looking for. Certainly, like when you look at Pope and Young Minnows, and some guys would be thrilled to shoot a six-year-old, you know, 31-inch, 33-inch doll sheep. That's not something I would even want to have. Um, and that's just my personal opinion. 
Um, but when it comes to bow hunting, it boils down to time. I mean, if I, you know, my desert sheep, I had, you know, eight days, he said, don't even bring your bow. My, my big one, um, I had all the time in the world, 90 days, just worked out phenomenal. I killed a huge ram with my bow, but I had all the time in the world to, to sort through what I wanted. Um, I've taken my bow on my first hunt in Alaska, never even got to strap my, re- my release on to plan a stock. Um, it all depends. I mean, if, if that's your ultimate goal is to kill one with a bow, go with your bow. Don't take a rifle. Uh, that's, that's what I would say. Um, and as far as big rams, small rams, I guess that's everybody's, uh, that's kind of what they're, they're personally after. I mean, there's a lot of guys that want to kill a ram with a bow, um, but really aren't into bow hunting a ram. Um, by that I mean they're they're not prepared to eat, eat their tag or come home without one. And and if you're if you're ultimately killing one of their bow, you have to be prepared to come home without one. Um, and then you know, kind of start working backwards. And that's why the the gun gets pulled out on on a lot of them.